I'm going to invite you to turn to page 1812 and continue on for just a couple more weeks on our series on love one another. And so we ask you, Lord, to guide us as we study your word. May your word challenge us. May your word feed us. May your word encourage us. May your word stir us up towards love and good deeds as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to do something different today. I am going to preach my sermon backwards. So for the rest of the message, no, that's not how I'm going to preach it backwards. I'm going to start with the application. And then I'm going to work back up. And we're going to read the passage forwards, but I'm going to talk about it backwards. I want to start with the application because I think there are three important areas that this scripture can speak to us today. Ways in which we can practice love in a real way in our time, in our place, in our homes, in our society, in our communities. And I'd hate for you to miss the application, so I'm going to start there. And the three areas of application are our elections. We've had an election coming up, right? Many of you, I'm sure, have voted like we have, but an election this week. And then we have family gatherings coming up in three weeks, is it, with Thanksgiving? Okay. And then we are going to come to the Lord's table. And I believe this passage will speak to these three realities. So let's read Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And you might see a little A there. The footnote is the sinful nature. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite And devour each other. Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Mm. It's a simple little passage. I want to study the passage backwards. I want to start with that last verse. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I told you there are three areas of application. And I believe this speaks to them. The first is our elections and and, and politics. Politics has become a dog-eat-dog affair, right? The image of dog-eat-dog, of kind of devouring each other, is suggested in this passage. It's a sad reality, and it's not without consequence for us all. It seems as if the only way to get elected today is to go on the attack. And you have to respond to the attacks of others, which means you're attacking back. And so you're attacking and they're attacking and back and forth. Are we ready for Tuesday to be over so our TVs can, you know, the ads can go away and the the stuff in our mailboxes? 
It seems as if negative campaigning is essential now to becoming elected. Attacking the character, attacking the name, attacking the reputation of the other candidate and their party that they represent. And I would offer to you that this is biting and devouring one another. And we're destroying each other. A society that bites and devours each other will be in trouble over time. Any community that bites and devours each other, a family, a, a, an organization, a church, a, a nation, a community, a school. When we bite and devour each other, we destroy each other. And so it's no surprise that we see the social fabric fraying. Uh, our communities fraying, our nation fraying, this polarization as they talk about it. So the way in which we practice our politics and our elections, this is not what love looks like. So the way we do elections is not what love looks like. And so as Christians, I can't change the world, right? I, I, can't, I can't change our society. But I can speak to a couple hundred folks on a Sunday morning. As Christians, we are called to a different way a better way I'm not saying don't vote and I'm not saying don't have convictions I'm saying don't bite and devour those who may differ from you okay so that's the first application second is we have family gatherings coming up some of you will travel some will have folks and family and friends travel to be with you Thanksgiving and Christmas are just around the corner don't bite and devour your families, your friends. By the time Thanksgiving comes and Christmas comes, our elections will be in the rearview mirror. Now, this isn't the big year, right? Next year's the biggie. But let's practice some things this year so that when we get to the presidential election of next year, we will be of sound mind. But sometimes, in recent years, our, our, our family gatherings are a little tense from time to time. Politics, headlines, changing expectations and norms uh, amongst the generations. And so, sink your teeth into a big old turkey drumstick rather than Uncle Larry's behind. Uncle Larry may drive you nuts with his views, grab the drumstick and just take all that energy and just go <clears throat> do not bite and devour Uncle Larry or your children or your grandchildren God puts us in families that we might love and be loved he puts us in families that we might experience support and show our support that we might help each other through life that we might know joy and encouragement are we different people in our families, especially when the generations gather? Are we different people? Do the generations differ in the way they look at life sometimes? Absolutely. And we can celebrate this. Do the generations sometimes have different ideas that some of us who are older don't always go with? Yeah. And so let me quote St. Ted Lasso again. Try to get curious rather than judgmental. Tell me more about that. It's a different way of saying, you believe what? 
And so, do not bite and devour each other at family gatherings. Celebrate, honor, rejoice, tell stories of the past. Get curious, not judgmental. The, the third point of application, the Lord's table. Communion, as I, I shared with the children. I am struck by the image that Paul gives us here in this passage. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. It, biting and devouring, it is the image of eating, right? It is the image that he's given us of, of eating. But not in a joyful way, not in a communal way, not in a, a family-centered way as we're soon to do at the Lord's table and as we're talking about in our family gatherings. Paul is warning against kind of a frenzied, selfish, destructive way of eating. Obviously, it's a, it's a metaphor. It, it, it's, a, it's a word picture. But biting and devouring in such a way, a frenzied, selfish way, is not the way of Jesus. Now, I ask you to pardon the crude and graphic reference in moms and dads. You might have to do some explaining to the children, and I apologize for this. But I think I need to say that verse 15 is suggestive of cannibalism. If you bite and devour each other, you will be destroyed. Eating the flesh of another person. Did you know that this is what the early Christians were accused of? Did you know that? Historically, Christians would gather because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And, and we have apostolic instruction in 1 Corinthians. I'll, I'll be saying those words in just a few moments. And the people of God would gather in each other's homes and they would have an agape feast, a love feast. And they would eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood. I mean, this is what we talk about. This is my body, take and eat. This is my blood, drink. And so people who were outside the Christian community, and it was a brand new thing, right? They didn't know what these people were up to. And so they were accused of cannibalism. Oh my God. Let me just read the, the, the language of, of Jesus in John's gospel. John chapter 6, verse 53. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Hmm. This is why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever feeds on this bread will never hunger again. And so as I shared with the children, this is spiritual food. This is food not to sustain our bodies. We're not going to go very far on a little piece of bread and a sip of juice. This is food so that we might remain in Jesus. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And so that's why I said to the children, I want you to eat this food for the rest of your life. 
there are people who stop going to church and stop taking communion. And so they disconnect from the reality. Would that more people in our nation came and, 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 and took of this flesh. They would bite and devour here. Jesus gave himself. He invites us to participate and to show our allegiance to him and to his kingdom and to his way by coming here and taking the bread and cup. It's as if he is saying, if you are going to bite and devour someone, bite and devour me. I offer my body, my blood, I offer my flesh to you for the life of the world. Come, if you must bite and devour, and there is something in the human condition, there is something in each of us that wishes to bite and devour, if you must bite and devour, do it this way. And be healed of that spirit that wants to destroy another person. But of course, this is what we did. We, we destroyed another person. We destroyed the very Son of God. Crucify him, crucify him. Get him out of here. Give us Barabbas. Get this Jesus out of here. Do you see the mystery, the wonder of the gospel? <laughs> He takes our biting and devouring nature and he flips it on his head and said, okay, 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 I'll go to the cross. And guess what? He had already given them the meal by which to remember. They didn't know he was getting ready to die the next day. And so if you must bite and devour, if you must eat the flesh of someone, eat mine and be healed and be restored. Now, let's keep studying the passage backwards. Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law of God is summed up. If we're going to keep the law of God, there's just really one command that we have to keep, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think this tells us that the ultimate point of every sermon, every Bible study, every devotional that we would read the point of the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Gospels and the letters. The, the, the point of our Bible and our Bible study, the, the point of the Word of God is to teach us one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so if we come out of church on a Sunday morning or Bible study or a quiet time or a, stu a study time at home, if you come out of church and you feel that the right response to that is to criticize other people or accuse other people or gossip about other people or belittle other people or mock other people, then you have missed the point of the sermon and the Bible study and the devotion. Because the whole law is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, am I saying that all beliefs and all actions and all people are doing just fine and we should celebrate all these things? You know, what's happening over in Israel and Hamas attack? Am I saying that? No. But the right response to the brokenness of the world and the struggles that others may have and the differences between the generations isn't to bite and devour. It isn't to accuse and belittle and, and, and criticize. It is to love. It is to forbear that person. It is to pray for that person. If you feel you cannot stand that other person's politics and that person is a family member and you're at the Thanksgiving table in a few weeks, love them. Pray for them. Forbear them. 
That's hard to do. Can I hear an amen? It is hard work. But how we act towards those who differ from us is what sets us apart in the Christian community. We Christians live differently towards the world. Okay, we're studying the passage backwards. Now verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh or the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. Uh, verse, if you've got your Bible still open, chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Suggesting that the true freedom that we need is a spiritual freedom. It is a freedom from this biting and devouring nature, these impulses that do want to criticize or accuse or attack other people who may differ from us or somehow we feel threatened by. And so this is what he has come to set us free from. So don't use your freedom then to indulge that nature. Rather, serve humbly in love. The Christian life the plan and purpose of God is very simply to liberate this world, to deliver us, to set us free. And he has done this in Jesus Christ. Going all the way back to the garden after Adam and Eve fell and they took selfishness to themselves. We want to be the ones to determine right and wrong. And all of a sudden, just the, 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 the biting and devouring happened. Cain rises up against their son Abel and boom, it's happening. And so the human family it's in these spiritual chains and God has come to, to set us free. But we misunderstand freedom, most of us. Our world believes that freedom is the freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want, with whomever I want, as often as I want, and you can't tell me otherwise. This is our world's understanding of freedom. Uh, I don't have any constraints, any restrictions. I am a completely autonomous person, free to do whatever I want. Is the addict free? Is the bully free? Is the thief free? I don't think so. True freedom, Christian freedom, spiritual freedom is a freedom to live towards the good and godly purposes that, that God has for us. He made us in his image and he set us in a garden and he gave us one another that we might love and we might support and we might encourage. And sin twists all that. And so there is what, what folks will talk about, a freedom from, freedom from sin, freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from these restraints kind of getting the chains off of us. And so it's not just a freedom from, it's a freedom for. God has set us free that we might serve one another humbly in love. Now most of you, if I were to say we're going to read from Galatians 5, if, if you've been around the Bible for, oh, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. This is that passage, but this is what precedes. This is what immediately precedes Paul talking about the contrast and conflict between the flesh and the spirit. If we were to go on reading, and I thought about doing that, but we'd be here for, I should have an extra hour to preach today, shouldn't I? 
Y'all are rested. Shouldn't I have an extra hour? The flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other. That thing that's in us, that biting and devouring impulse, is opposed to what the spirit of God wants for us. And so Paul goes on here in this passage and contrasts the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That just sounds like TMZ if you ask me, right? That sounds like the evening news, whoa. But the fruit of the Spirit, who knows what the first fruit of the Spirit is? Love. The manifestation, the fruit of the Spirit, the, the presence of God's Spirit in our lives, this freedom that Christ has won for us, is love. And then it's peace and it's joy and it's gentleness and it's patience, it's kindness, it's faithfulness, it's self-control. The ability to, to say no to ourselves. And so we are actually freed from the law and its demands. But what the Spirit comes is we become we become the one that restrains ourselves. We say no to ourselves. We say no to our own biting and devouring nature. That's what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. And so the freedom that our Lord has won for us is a freedom we don't have to bite and devour people anymore. Hallelujah. Once upon a time, we didn't know that. If somebody, as a child on the playground, opposed me, then I'm going to oppose them. There's another way of reacting to people. There's another way of responding to people. We have now been set free from the biting and devouring tendency. We're free to love that person. And of course, we've been talking about this for two months. How do we do that? That's the challenge. And I'll just close with this. There is a very, there's a holy tension, a creative wordplay, a holy wordplay that Paul is giving us here. He has set us free to be servants to others. But the word where we read serve others, it's slaves. Christian, you have been set free to be a slave to all other people. To your neighbor. That is, you are a servant to love them. It, it's, there, there's tension there, right? How, a slave isn't free. We're free from the sin. We're free now to be the servants in the world that God desires. And so I have preached my sermon backwards. Lord, guide us as we seek to live into the goodness and grace and truth of your holy word. Amen. Let's stand and